You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, we're in the book of, of Colossians. If you've been here at all this summer, that's no surprise to you. In fact, we're about halfway through now, uh, the book of Colossians. If you don't mind going and finding your way to that great New Testament book, it's the 12th book in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels and after Paul has written to the, uh, no, Luke and, and um, Luke wrote to Acts, the book of Acts, then Paul wrote Romans, and then got to Corinthians, then Paul writes to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So the 12th book in the New Testament. Uh, let's get there. And because we're halfway through, I want to remind you of two of the sweeping themes that we see throughout the book of Colossians, and probably it's the main themes of the book of Colossians. I gave these to you about six weeks ago or so, so let me repeat them again. Maybe you weren't here, maybe you've forgotten, maybe you didn't write them down the first time, maybe you didn't pay attention the first time, but here it is. Jesus isn't just one more thing to be worshiped and adored. He is the only one to be worshiped and adored. Uh, we see in the book of Colossians just the supremacy of, of Christ, the greatness of Christ. And so we understand that he's not just one more thing to add to our plate that we should love and worship and adore. He is the only one. Now remember the context here as Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. Uh, that city and really the, the day and that time was very influenced not only by the Roman Empire, but still by the Greek Empire. Not only by Roman philosophy, but also by Greek philosophy. And in the Roman and Greek culture, uh, they viewed gods like we view Facebook friends and Instagram followers, the more the merrier. It was polytheism, poly many, theism, theo, God. They had many gods and in so many ways we're the exact same today in 2022. We worship God and money. That's polytheism. Theism. Uh, we worship God and the opinions of others. We worship God and politics. We worship God and our possessions. We worship God and sports. We worship God and ourselves. But the book of Colossians reminds us that Jesus has no rivals. He's not just one more thing to be treasured and worshiped and adored. Here's the second sweeping theme of the book of Colossians. Jesus transforms all things. Uh, we saw this last week in chapter two, verse 10, uh, that all of Christ is in us. Remember that incredible theme of Colossians that the all of God is in, in Christ and all of Christ is in us. Because that is true, Jesus transforms everything. There should be massive change in our lives when we walk in Christ and we walk with Christ because we even see in chapter 2, verse 10, that Christ is the rule and the authority of all things. And so when the king of the universe takes up residence in your life, things change. What changes? Our thinking, our character, our behavior, our homes, our relationships. All of those things should, should change. Let me just say with, with as much grace and love as I can distribute today, if there's no change in your life, there's no Christ in your life. If there's no transformation in your life, then there is no Jesus in your life. When Christ comes in, again, the ruler of the universe living in you, things will transform in your life. Your thinking will transform, your, your character, your behavior, your actions, what you do, your, your homes, your marriages, your relationships, all of those things will transform because Christ is in you. So Colossians gives us this basic understanding one more time that Christianity is Christ. 
That Christ is sufficient. Christ is all. Christ is God. Christ is Savior. Christ can redeem. Christ is everything that you need. And then Paul, led by the Spirit, is going to tackle some heresies that deny those truths. Specifically today, Paul is going to address four heresies, four things that often sneak into the gospel, and they shouldn't be there. Now, you may be offended by some of these four things. At least I hope you are. That's my goal. I I believe in equality. I believe everyone should be offended on a Sunday morning. So you may be offended today because all of us have within us this disposition or this inclination in our hearts or even our relationship with God to slide into one of these four areas that Paul, again, led by the Holy Spirit, is going to address today. But here's the good news. We can be offended today then the Spirit of the Lord can recalibrate us today. And then this week, we can live in the purity of of the gospel. So let's go together to Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 16. That's where we left off last week. In fact, we're going to finish out chapter 2 today. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Let me just read the passage, and then we'll go back to it and make sure we're on the same page, understand this together. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, In questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you still, why as, why if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, Referring to things that that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's go back to verse 16. It begins with the word therefore. Stop there. When you see the word therefore, you know this axiom. You have to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? Like, what what is it referring back to? Well, I think several things, probably referring back to verse 9, that you've been filled up with Christ, probably referring back to verse 13, that you've been made alive in Christ, probably referring back to, to verse 15, that Jesus won your freedom for you at the cross. Verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you because all those things are true in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There were false teachers in the church of Colossae that that basically were telling the Christians, if you want to be a Christian, you'll need to follow all of these diets and celebrate all of these days. Diets and days. You know what that is? It's legalism. And that's one of the four things that often sneaks into the gospel. What is legalism? Here's my definition today. Here's, there's four things we're going to look at and then one truth. Here's the first uh, false gospel, if you will. Legalism is Jesus plus rules. This is what's happening in the church of Colossae. They're saying, yeah, you can, you can follow Jesus, but you also need to do these things. 
You need to eat this certain way. You need to celebrate these certain festivals. So legalism is Jesus plus rules. Now, I know the word legalism gets thrown out a whole lot today in our culture. I see it on social media all the time. You Christians are so legalistic. Let me tell you what legalism is not. Legalism is not God's demand that we live holy, set apart, pure lives. That's not legalism. You know what that is? That's obedience. So when people say you're so legalistic that you're trying to live this, this pure life, this set apart life, this holy life, that is not legalism. That is obeying God. Legalism says that you have to commit yourself to the religion of human achievement and follow rules or follow laws that are outside of Scripture. Legalism is simply attaching your salvation to man-made rules. So let me give you a few thoughts about legalism today because, again, it just seems to be the topic all the time on, on social media. God's laws are for all of his people, but your rules are just for you. So God's laws are for all of his people. Your rules are just for you. I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm a teetotaler. I don't drink alcohol. I don't, I don't touch it. I'm not around it. You know whose rule that is? That's my rule. For who? For me. That, that, that's why I don't stand up here on Sunday morning and, and tell you, you do not drink. You do not touch alcohol because that's not God's law for everyone. That's just a rule that I have for my own life. Feel free to make rules for yourself, but your rules are your rules. They're not for me. They're, they're not for, for all of us. It's important we talk about legalism to distinguish principles from, from method. Legalists can't do this. You see, the Bible, you can write this down. The Bible gives us closed-handed principles and open-handed methods. Uh, I'll give you, for instance, the, the Scripture says that we should sing to the Lord. That's closed-handed. That's, that's God's rule, God's law for all of God's people. Well, how many songs do we sing? Uh, what key do we sing those songs in? What instruments do we play? What style of, of singing should we, should, we, should we have in our church? Well, that's open-handed. That's, that's the method that God has left open to us. Uh, moms and dads, the Bible says that we're to educate our children. That's closed-handed. How we do that, public school, private school, home school, parochial school, that, that's the method. That's the open-handed part. And so it's really easy sometimes because legalists don't understand the difference between principle and method. They don't understand the difference between God's law for everybody and a rule that they are applying to their own lives. The Bible tells us to be, to be good citizens and to, to pray for those who are governing officials over us. It doesn't tell us exactly what, what box to check off when we're voting. You see, principles and, and methods, we need to be clear, Highland, on God's biblical principles and then leave freedom and flexibility and conscience for Christians guided by the Holy Spirit to decide and determine what methods God would have for them. Legalism says, oh, it's Jesus plus some rules. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and, and worship of angels and going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Specifically there, worship of angels and rambling on about visions is talking about mysticism. Here's the second way that, 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 that a false gospel can sneak into the true gospel. Mysticism is Jesus plus an experience. Here's mysticism. It's about spirituality, 
visions and, and dreams and angels and, and near-death experiences and paranormal activity and, and, and the supernatural. Here's a simple functional definition I'll give you of, of mysticism. Here it is. Trying to get closer to God through experiences. It's chasing a spiritual experience. Give me an angel. Give me a spiritual vision. Give me something supernatural. Uh, give me goosebumps. Give me a glory cloud. Give me a tingly feeling. Mysticism says, God, I don't want to just read your Bible. I want something bigger and better and bolder than that. I want something more. Give me an experience. And there are false teachers in Colossae that were saying, yeah, you don't need to just, just know Jesus. You need to, to have an experience. You need to have some kind of, kind of emotional experience, some kind of feeling attached to that. You need to have some kind of worship of angels or some visions that, that, that you have. It's Christ plus my vision. It's Christ plus my experiences with angels. It's Christ plus a deeper experience. It's Christ plus a higher experience. This is what they were saying to those at Colossae, and it was a false gospel. And the question has to be asked this morning, do you love an experience or do you love Jesus? We shouldn't be chasing signs and wonders and, and miracles. We should be following Jesus. And as we're walking with Jesus, signs and miracles and wonders will follow as we walk with him. You can write this down. Walk with Jesus and great experiences will follow. But great experiences are not the things that we follow. And we see this in Christianity in our nation today. I've seen it in Christianity on the African continent where there's this desire to have this emotional experience that truth is often pushed aside just for a feeling, just for some kind of experience. And so we can, when you walk with Jesus, great things will happen, but we are not looking always for, for the great things. See the difference? I believe that people will get healed. I believe that God does speak to his people. I believe that supernatural things will happen, that the kingdom of God will, will reveal itself, but as we love Jesus, not as we love the experiences. Here's a good inventory question to ask yourself. If the experiences stopped, would you still love Jesus? If the experiences stopped, would you still follow Jesus? There's something else going on right here in verse 18. See that little phrase, puffed up? I think it probably refers back to that philosophy that we saw in chapter 2, verse 8. If you want to go back to that. See to it that no one takes you captive by, by philosophy and this empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. There was a philosophy at the time. In fact, anytime you open up a, a commentary about, about Colossians and you see what the Colossae Christians were facing, you'll almost always see this philosophy. It was a philosophy that was very arrogant. And it was called Gnosticism. It was this false idea that there were some Christian leaders or sometimes just Christians that had a special insight into God, had a special secret into God. So here's what Gnosticism is. Gnosticism is Jesus plus secret knowledge. It's the third false gospel that was, that was slipping into the true gospel for these baby believers, remember this church is maybe about six years old. It, it, was, it was just a young church filled with young believers. And so immediately as that church was growing, then all these false teachers, these false gospels began to rise up within it. And so one of those, those false teachings was the philosophy of Gnosticism, which is there were some people that had a secret insight into God. Gnosticism is designed 
to make the listener or to make the new Christian begin to feel inferior or to feel a little less or, or to feel judged. This is why Paul says in verse 16, see it again, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. It's why Paul says in verse 18, don't let anyone disqualify you. A Gnostic teacher would come and say to the new believers, oh, I know something that you don't know. I have a special revelation that comes from the Lord. I know something that you've never heard before. So what, the, what does that make that Gnostic teacher wiser, smarter, more godly? It makes you need me. Let's just write this down in our notes. You know the greatest revelation? Here it is. Jesus came, died, rose, is returning, and he loves you. That is an amazing revelation. So if some pastor comes to you today and says, I have this special revelation for you, you can just run away and say, no, I already know the revelation. Here it is. Jesus came for me. He died for me. He rose for me. He's returning for me. And he loves me. This is the greatest revelation that will ever be given to you. When you hear a preacher say he has a special revelation, immediately let your spiritual insights begin to get stirred up. Because preachers with secret knowledge are on a power trip. And the only knowledge you'll ever need is found in God's word. Oh, the revelation you have at your fingertips every time you open up the scripture. 2 Peter 1.3 says, God has already given you everything you need for life and for godliness. But the Gnostics were saying, no, there's something else you need to know. And you don't know it, but I do. Verse 20 through 23, let's look at this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? And here are the regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting this self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So here's the fourth thing, a word that perhaps we don't use all the time, asceticism. It's the fourth thing that slips into the gospel. Asceticism is Jesus plus loss. Some false teachers in that day were, were teaching that, that you have more spiritual um, addition by subtraction. Saying things like, the less you eat, the holier you are. The less you drink, the holier you are. The less you enjoy in this world, the holier you are. The less that you possess, the less that you own, the holier you are. Now today, that's still a thing in Christianity, in our world, in our nation right now. It's called poverty theology. Now, prosperity theology is the more you have, the closer you are to God. But poverty theology is the less that you have, the closer you are to God. But poverty theology and prosperity theology are both false theologies. They're false gospels. Why? Because you cannot get any closer to God than you can get to him through Jesus. So it doesn't matter if you have a brand new car or a car that you just gave away. You will not be any closer to God. You're as close to God as you can be through Christ alone because Christ is close to you. Christ, again, has taken up residence in your life. But asceticism, asceticism says if you really love God, you won't sleep in a comfortable bed. If you really love God, you're not going to live in a nice home. If you really love God, you're not going to drive a dependable car. 
You're not going to eat good food. You're, you're not going to wear comfortable clothes. That, that is that poverty theology that, that you're really not that good of a Christian until you give everything away. You're not really that great of a Christian unless you're constantly in self-denial. This has actually been going on really ever since the church was born. Back in the 300s, uh, there was a, a monk by the name of Anthony. He was, he was from Greece, but, but he lived in Egypt in a monastery. And, and he bragged, Anthony bragged that he has never changed his clothes. He, he bragged that he never washed his feet. You know, that doesn't make you spiritual. That makes you stinky if you, if you do that for all those years of your life. Now, I will say... Anthony lived to be 105 years old. So maybe there is something to not washing your feet for 105 years. I'm not sure what it is, but, but Anthony thought, if I cannot change my clothes, if I cannot wash my feet, then I have less things, and so God will love me more. I will be closer to God. There's a problem with that thinking because that type of thinking says God only can mature me through suffering and, and through loss, and that's simply not true. God matures us through every stage of life. When I'm healthy, there's something to learn about God. When I'm sick, there's something to learn about God. When things are going great, there's stuff to learn. When things are falling apart, there are things to, to learn. When, when I have an overabundance of blessing, there are things that I can learn. When I'm in real lack and real need and real want, there's still some things to learn. This is what Paul told the church at Philippi. You're so close to it. Just go back one page and look with me, please, at Philippians chapter four. Look at verse 12. It's not on the screen, but it is in your Bible. Go back one page, Philippians chapter four, verse 12. Look what Paul says here. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, prosperity, and hunger, poverty. I have understood the, the secret of facing abundance, prosperity, and poverty, need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hmm, how about that? It's not about winning the football game. It's about trusting God in the wins and the losses. I can trust God through it all. And so this is what Paul is saying here. Asceticism is that, that thought of it's Jesus plus loss. Now let's look at the good stuff. In fact, let me put it this way, Highland. Let's look at the right stuff. Look at verse 17 with me. These, the these are the four things we just looked at. Legalism, mysticism, Gnosticism, asceticism. These are just a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Those other things, those philosophies of legalism, that, that Jesus plus adding some rules, that mysticism, Jesus plus having some kind of experience, that Gnosticism, Jesus plus having some kind of inside secret information, asceticism, that Jesus plus loss, all of those things, verse 17, are shadowy things. But the reality is Christ. You see some of the Christians there in Colossae, they were, they were content to live in the shadowy side of religion where fear and uncertainty was just abounding. Paul, again, led by the Holy Spirit, says, get out of the shadows. The reality is here. The reality is Christ. Christ is enough. So here's the true theology. Here's the true gospel. Jesus, excuse me, salvation then is Jesus plus nothing. This is what Colossians is leading to. Salvation, true salvation, the true gospel is Jesus plus nothing. As a Christian, you know who you need? 
Jesus. You know what else you need? Nothing. He is our all in all, isn't he? It's Christ plus nothing. You don't need special visions. You don't need some conversation with angels. You don't need some kind of goosebump feeling. You don't need some kind of self-imposed piety. You don't need some kind of, some, some rules that you have to keep up with. You just, verse 19, don't miss this. You just hold fast to the head. Just hold fast to Jesus from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. We grow with the growth that is from God. So sister, hold fast to Jesus. He is enough. Brother, hold fast to Jesus. He is enough. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you today that you sent us Christ and in Christ we have enough. Salvation for us is Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus some man-made rules. Not Jesus plus some emotional experience. Not Jesus plus some kind of insider secret about God. It's not Jesus plus loss and suffering. Salvation is Jesus plus Nothing. Your work did it all. God, we praise you today as your people. We can't add to the work of your son. That is why he declared from that cross, it is finished. The debt is paid. Who are we to try to add to the perfect gospel of Jesus? Who are we to try to add to the perfect sacrifice of Christ? So God, where we've been legalistic, we lay it down. Where we've been mystic, we lay it down. Where we have tried to practice some kind of loss or self-denial or suffering, we lay it down. Where we have practiced as Gnostics, thinking that we might have some secret inside information to God, we lay it down, we repent, and we praise you today that it is Christ plus nothing that saves us. That is our hope in this life, and that is our hope in the life to come. We thank you for the promise and the gift and the perfection of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Because of this, we sing with joy. Amen.